You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I don't like to open my usually fun, usually light sex advice podcast with bad news, with grief and rage and despair. That's not what you come here for. I get it. And sometimes I can ignore a story that's dominating the news, but other times it would seem unforgivably insensitive of me to do that. And this is one of those times. My heart breaks for the victims of the white supremacist terrorist in Buffalo, New York, An 18-year-old man, armed with an AR-15, walked into a supermarket in a black neighborhood and shot 13 people, killing 10. I ache for the families and friends of the victims, all of them, victims of racism, of white supremacy, and victims of Fox News and the radicalized Republican Party. Fox News and the GOP took the Great Replacement Theory The idea that there's an active conspiracy to replace white voters in the United States with black and brown people from all over the world who will supposedly vote for Democrats. This is the reason the great replacement conspiracy theory is the reason this white supremacist terrorist gave for shooting little old black ladies out shopping for groceries. Fox News lifted that poison from the message boards of white supremacist websites and pumped it into American living rooms, and airport bars, and army bases, and truck stops, and sports bars, and into the mainstream of the GOP. Other countries have right-wingers. The terrorist who massacred 10 people in Buffalo modeled his attack on the mosque massacre in Christchurch, New Zealand, right down to live-streaming it on the internet. But within days of the attack in Christchurch, New Zealand banned semi-automatic weapons. It's been 3,804 days since 20 children and six teachers were massacred at Sandy Hook by a man who, like this terrorist in Buffalo, was armed with an AR-15. You know, within days of peaceful protests outside the homes of Supreme Court justices after the draft of the opinion overturning Roe leaked, Congress passed laws beefing up security around the homes of Supreme Court justices. The same Supreme Court justices, in some cases, who declared modest buffer zones around abortion clinics to be unconstitutional limits on free speech. Buffer zones created to protect patients and staff at abortion clinics from mobs of anti-choice activists who'd already proven themselves capable of violence. Right-wing anti-choice terrorists have bombed clinics and shot and killed doctors who performed abortions, one in front of his family in his kitchen, and one in a church. Congress moved within days to protect these hypocritical justices from peaceful protesters. Meanwhile, it's been 1,289 days since a white supremacist armed with an AR-15 massacred 11 Jewish people and wounded six others during services at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pennsylvania. It's been 876 days since a white supremacist armed with an AK-47 massacred 33 Latinos and Hispanics at a Walmart in Texas. It's been 427 days since a right-wing Christian terrorist murdered eight people, mostly Asian women, 
at three massage parlors in Georgia. Look, we can't legislate hate out of existence, but we could make it harder for haters to commit mass murder. But we won't, which is why I feel such despair at this moment. Not only is nothing going to be done to prevent radicalized right-wing terrorists like these men from getting their hands on weapons of war, but the Supreme Court is on the verge of striking down state laws that ban the concealed carry of weapons. That's probably going to happen this summer along with overturning Roe. And it's going to make it legal for people to carry guns, including assault weapons, into your workplace. But you'll still have to pass through metal detectors to get into their workplace. I read this headline today in the New York Times. A gun dealer who said he sold the suspect in Buffalo an assault weapon in recent months described a routine transaction. And isn't that exactly the problem? That gun dealer also told the New York Times, I don't understand why an 18-year-old would even do this. You know what I don't understand? Why anyone would sell an assault weapon to a teenager. Why it's legal to sell an assault weapon to a teenager or to anyone at all. How many more have to die before we do something about it? About all of it. Not just about the guns on our streets, but about the white supremacists on Fox News and in Congress. I know this is a drag. I know. I like to open the show with something upbeat, weird, funny, light, something that reminds us that... Sex is crazy and ridiculous and fascinating, and we're all in it together. And hopefully, next week, I'll be able to do just that. All right, coming up on today's show, on the micro, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and longtime friend of the show, and perhaps my most frequent returning guest, Mistress Matisse, is back. I got a question from a woman who was told to keep the word whore out of her mouth because she isn't one. And we take that question. We also took a question from a sex worker who says she caught feelings for a client, which is a thing that can happen, but it is not a thing sex workers want their clients to think will ever happen to them. Some of Matisse is on the micro, all of Matisse is on the magnum, which you can subscribe to at savage.love. All right, let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Keep your balls smooth while looking and feeling their best. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOVECAST. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy art risk youth. 27-year-old cis bi woman in Australia. When I was in high school for three or four years from like age 15 to 19, I had an online boyfriend. We never met in person, but we would talk on the phone, talk on video, send each other gifts, uh, called each other boyfriend and girlfriend, said we loved each other. Basically everything of a relationship except being in person. This ended, yeah, when I was about 19 
so he would have been 24. Recently, I was thinking about him and I flicked him an email, haven't talked to him in probably like five, six years and didn't hear anything back, thought of him again a little while later and did some Googling of his phone number and his name and came up with basically the information that he was nine years older than he said he was and had a different last name, was married the whole time. So he was 29 when I was 15. He was married, just had his first kid. And, yeah, we used to stay up really late talking to each other, honestly, most nights. Sometimes he would be staying up till, like, 1, 2, 3 in the morning talking to me. And meanwhile, his wife's looking after their new baby, presumably by herself. Yeah, I just feel really bad for her not knowing this shit. Like, he was sending me gifts and stuff like that when they were struggling for money. They'd moved in with his parents and he was spending money on me. He was giving me, you know, a lot of emotional and sexual energy that he wasn't putting into his relationship with her. So basically, Dan, what do you think I should do? Should I tell her? He knows that I know. I did talk to him about it and he was honestly quite self-pitying. It was kind of uncomfortable. He didn't seem to take seriously the age thing. He didn't seem to think it was a factor at all. He basically didn't consider it and didn't think that it had a role in why he was attracted to me, you know, whether physically or for my naivety or energy or whatever. That was weird. He was very apologetic, said I was the love of his life, all of this stuff. Yeah, however, he was still using that email. He obviously, he saw my email, he responded to it when I confronted him with this information Um, and that was with a fake name. So who knows if he's still doing this to other people. He said he wasn't, obviously, but who knows. So my question is whether you think I should tell her. I certainly have proof that I could send her so it would be believable, but I really don't want to ruin these people's lives if it's not going to bring about any good. I just feel like if she knew, she would probably be able to put so many things together and stuff would make sense. I really just don't know. It seems to me that someone who's been married to a liar and a creep for a very long time most likely knows that their husband, this woman most likely knows that her husband is a liar and a creep. And yet you're operating under the assumption, and and maybe you're right, maybe she has no idea, but you assume she didn't know at the time. And even if that's true, and even if she hadn't figured it out since, I guess what you need to wrestle with is whether this woman that you claim to be concerned about, she's your concern, whether she would benefit from knowing this shit Now, it's been six years since this online relationship, this very inappropriate online relationship ended. You were 15 years old when it started. You were a minor. He was not a handful of years older than you, not five or six years older than you. He was 15 years older than you. And he was obviously getting something out of having your attention that he valued. And as the much older person in this online relationship, it's possible that he was 
leveraging your naivete against you or, you know, using his experience to manipulate you into providing him with what exactly? Conversation and a, a strong emotional connection. You say you talked every day. You don't say that he ever asked you for inappropriate photographs. You don't say that you two had sex, online sex, cyber sex. Maybe you did, and maybe you just didn't include that detail. But, you know, you don't mention it. It seems like something you would have mentioned if that had been his primary interest in you. If his primary interest in you was sexual and he was sitting on a trove of photographs of you, illegal photographs, photographs taken when you were a minor at his instigation, seems that that would be a huge concern for you and maybe something you would want this woman to know. And you didn't leave a phone number, so I can't call you back. And I feel like I have to separate my advice out into two little piles here. There's the pile where he manipulated you into having sex with him and cyber sex with him and sending him photographs of yourself that he encouraged you to take for him when you were a minor, in which case you might want to call the police because somebody who does this to a 15-year-old girl, a man in his 30s, probably has done it to more 15-year-old girls and maybe doing it to 15-year-old girls right now. So maybe not the wife you need to contact, but the authorities. But if he did none of those things, if it was really just this emotional connection, if he really just liked having a girlfriend online who was excited to talk to him about his day, and it was about this emotional connection that was rooted in lies, that was you know, grounded in bullshit. He misrepresented himself to you. You were having a real relationship with him so far as you knew, and you couldn't, you weren't really having a real relationship with him because he had, you didn't know who he really was because he didn't tell you. If that's what it was, uh, I'm less comfortable with calling the authorities, certainly. I don't think there's a case there for calling the authorities if he didn't get you to take photographs or have cyber sex with him when you were a minor. And I'm less comfortable with the idea of contacting his wife. Yeah, it was a shitty thing to do. He had a young wife and a young child or kids. Maybe, like a lot of young marrieds, when the kids were very young, they didn't, they were so exhausted, or his wife was so exhausted if she was doing most of the work, which most young mothers do, that she wasn't giving him the kind of emotional attention or affection that he needed. And he went online looking for that from somebody else and got it from you. And I'm giving him the benefit of too many doubts here. What he did was shitty. It was shitty to you, to lie to you, to misrepresent himself, to manipulate you the way that he did. It was shitty to his wife. But if there wasn't a sexual component, if he wasn't pressuring you for photographs and cyber sex, it's less likely that this has been a pattern. And it could be the case that this was just something he needed when his kid was an infant. And he got it in a contained way from someone who didn't pose an IRL in real life threat to his wife or his family, but now does because you have found all this out about him and he didn't come through with the kind of apology, you know, he was rationalizing his behavior or, you know, self-pitying, you said, didn't take the age gap thing seriously the way you would like him to. And that made you uncomfortable and has made you think about calling his wife. And obviously the way I'm hemming and hawing here, calling his wife makes me feel uncomfortable. You're talking about putting the burden of knowing on his wife's shoulders and then walking away. You're going to 
roll a hand grenade into this home, into this marriage that probably isn't perfect, but if they've been together all this time on some level is functional, compromises have been made, accommodations have been made, perhaps they've resigned themselves to each other and it's a low conflict, whatever it is. And you can, with a phone call or an email, turn it into a high conflict, whatever it might be. And that is an awesome responsibility. And you really need to think it through. My advice, if I were in your situation and I had been manipulated sexually, he was sitting on a pile of photographs and I was sitting on a pile of icky feelings and regrets about things that this older creepy guy who lied to me, manipulated me into doing illegal things, I would blow that shit up. I would call the authorities if that were the case. But if it was just late night phone calls and email exchanges with somebody on the internet who lied to you about who they were, which is the national pastime or the international pastime of people on the internet, and there was no sexual manipulation or violation, even if there were, and I think there was in your case, an emotional violation, I would walk away. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. Now, this is a little personal, but Terry and I tried the suppository and leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil. You'll thank me later. Hi, Dan. I'm a 50-year-old cis female married for 29 years to my best friend, romantic partner, travel companion, and father to our three awesome adult sons. Life is actually pretty damn good, except for this one not-so-insignificant detail. We have only had PIV sex twice in the last 10 years. Not because I don't want to or don't enjoy sex, I most certainly do. But because since the age of around 35, my husband has been struggling with same-sex attraction, grappling to understand who he is and what it means for him and for us. He's gone from watching gay porn, describing it as just curiosity, to chatting and sexting with guys, explaining that it's an online fantasy. In fact, if there was ever any suggestion by someone for a real-life hookup, he'd cut off all contact and metaphorically run for the hills. 
Two years ago, he floated the possibility of being bisexual and one year ago, he landed on I'm probably gay. He also has high-functioning autism, a history of anxiety and depression and ED thrown in the mix. For a bit of context, we had a very strict religious upbringing. Though there was plenty of falling around pre-marriage, we both said our I do's as virgins and we've been each other's one and only ever since. We are both currently in individual therapy and recently we've been researching and discussing ethical non-monogamy as one possibility for the future. The other two options on the table at the moment are separating and divorcing while still living and possibly travelling together or separating and divorcing and carving out separate lives. While we agree that there is no real rush to decide our future, we do recognise that change is necessary. Pretending to be something that we're not, a monogamous heterosexual couple has worn thin. My husband doesn't see himself ever wanting a long-term relationship with another man, although of course this could change, but he is ready to explore his same-sex attraction in a real and physical way. He's not 100% ready to come out of the closet to family and friends, but acknowledges that it's unfair to expect me to stay in the closet with him. As for me, I can't imagine a future void of passion or being sexually desired by a man. Ten years is long enough. To put it bluntly, I'm desperate for a good old-fashioned fuck. As mentioned before, we are still romantic partners with plenty of hand-holding, hugs, cuddles, back rubs in bed and even the occasional passionate kissing and fondling session. But my question to you is this. What to do when 90% that's good in our relationship is overshadowed by the 10% that leaves us both feeling sexually unfulfilled? Do you think that going down the ENM route is a realistic option? I've heard that good communication is key, something that we do really struggle with, in part because of my husband's autism. Are we simply delaying the inevitable and risk losing more of ourselves and the good that we have in the process? Would it be better just to call it a day on our marriage, step bravely into the great unknown as the best of friends? 30 years together is a lot to walk away from. You could get divorced and then start seeing other people and, and build separate lives. You don't have to stay together for the kids. You say your children are adults, they're grown. You don't have to stay together to co-parent anymore. But maybe you do want to stay together just because you've been together for such a long time. And rather than divorcing because of what your husband has either learned about himself or finally been able to admit about himself that he is gay and always has been gay, maybe instead of divorcing, you could just adjust your expectations and what's allowed. Now, your expectations up to now has been that if either of you is going to have sex with anybody, it's going to be with each other. And perhaps because of your upbringing uh, or you know the attitudes you may still hold, so long as you're married to him, you're not allowed to have sex with somebody else. You can have a companionate relationship. You can stay married to your husband, continue to live with your husband, and get out there and get some dick elsewhere, as can he. Now, he says he's not interested in entering into a relationship with a man, and maybe he just feels that that would be that entering into a relationship with one person, you, was difficult enough for him because of his challenges, and he can't see himself at his age managing to bond with or find a new partner and bond with that partner the way he 
found or considering the ages uh, you were when you two got married and the families you came from was handed the partner he was handed. He's not going to be able to do that again. There are worse reasons to stay together than familiarity, comfort, and the kind of loving ease and rapport it sounds like you two have with each other. But you want some dick. And presumably at this point, so does he. So the question isn't, do we have to get divorced now or not? The question could be, I mean, the question doesn't have to be, do we have to get divorced now or not to go get those dicks we both want? The question could be, is there a way to structure our marriage such that I can get dick elsewhere and maybe date other men, but stay married, stay with my husband, and he can get out there and get some dick for himself. And then we can come home to each other, continue to love each other, stay in this relationship that we both draw significant emotional and probably social support from. There are lots of different ways to be married. A lot of couples at 30, 40 years aren't fucking anymore. And it can sometimes be the case that in one of those couples where they're not fucking anymore, one person is unhappy about that or both people are unhappy about that. It's just their desire for each other has passed and the relationship has become more sibling-esque over the decades. Doesn't sound like that's the case here, considering your husband was probably never physically attracted to you. So you're finding yourself in the place where a lot of straight couples, opposite-sex couples with opposite sexual orientations, may one day find themselves. So what are you going to do? Well, you could, 50 is young. I'm 57 years old. I'm staring down the barrel of 60. You know, when I was 40, 50 seemed impossibly old. Now I'm 57. 50 seems still kind of young. And I think about the experiences I've had and the dick I've had in the last seven or eight years of my life. And so I know it's possible for you to get out there and have new experiences, new relationships, and get some dick that wants to be in you. You could do all that. Maybe it would be easier for you to do that if you were single, but maybe you'd be more comfortable doing that, or maybe it would be easier for you doing that, or maybe you could have it all. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say here. Maybe you could have it all, have everything you have with your husband now, the ease, the familiarity, the comfort, the cuddles, the back rubs, the holding hands while you watch TV, whatever, and get dick elsewhere. Maybe from a guy who's in a long-term you know, three, four decade marriage himself where the desire is gone and yet neither person in that guy to be named later in that guy's marriage wants out or wants to end the marriage. They just want to get their needs met, one of them or both of them, discreetly on the side. You could find a guy like that. You could be what makes it possible for somebody else to stay married and stay sane. And that person could be the same for you the dick that makes it possible for you to stay married to the fag that you married and stay sane. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for sex, the best mattress for sleep, and the best mattress for self-care. I know because I do all those things on my Helix mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. They have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if, like me, you sleep hot. Mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus mattress 
for plus-sized sleepers. Terry and I took the Helix quiz and we were matched with the Midnight Luxe mattress because we wanted something with medium firmness and we both tend to move around a lot at night when we sleep. We love it. Our Helix mattress that we got for us was so comfortable. We got a Helix mattress for the guest room too. And our Helix mattresses can handle everything we throw at them. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Just go to helixsleep.com slash savage, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Then it arrives at your door shipped for free, and your life changes for the better. Helix Sleep has a 10-year warranty, and you get to try out your new mattress for 100 nights risk-free. We'll even pick it up if you don't love it, but you're going to love it. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is also offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Go to helixsleep.com dot com slash savage. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I am a cis pansexual woman, and I've got a slut challenge that I do not know what to do about. Today, I was in a clothing store where I was talking to a friend about, you know, slutty stuff, sexual empowerment, you know, how ways in which I am very excited to, um, you know, be a slut uh, now that the pandemic is sort of calming down. And in that exchange, I refer to myself as a whore. A few minutes later, a woman who I assume is a sex worker intensely confronted me about keeping the word whore out of my mouth unless I am a full-service sex worker. My reaction in that moment was to just say, like, thank you so much for saying that to me. I'm sorry you even had to say it in the first place. Like, I just, I felt really awful to have impacted another woman in that way because I could see that she was really upset. But, you know, like most other women, I've been called a slut and a whore my entire life, which, of course, you know, still happens. But I used to hold a lot of shame around my high level of sexual encounters and the major way that I've been able to drop that shame is through reclaiming the words that have been used against me. So here's my challenge. The word slut still makes me feel terrible. <laughs> I've read The Ethical Slut. I am factually on board. I am logically on board. I, I know that technically I am a slut, but it does not make me feel empowered. It makes me feel like I am punching myself when I use it. Uh, the word whore, on the other hand, has felt incredibly empowering and has been very helpful. So I've got two questions for you on this. One, what are your thoughts? Is it pretty straightforward, you know, cut and dry the way that it was presented to me by this woman? Or is it more nuanced? Like, you know, should those of us who are not sex workers really keep the word whore out of our mouth? And two, can you think of any other reclaiming nomenclature to combat the slander of whore and slut? Because I want to continue to really like spit in the face of the patriarchy in this way, like specifically, but I also don't want to be an asshole. Joining me to help tackle this question, Mistress Matisse, Seattle's favorite dominatrix and advocate for sex workers' rights, and a longtime friend of the Savage Lovecast and Savage Love, a guest expert I've been turning to again and again for years. Hey, Mistress Matisse, how are you? Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, it's so great uh, for you to come back. So, whores, non-whores, can us non-whores use the word whore in joking reference to ourselves and empowering reference to ourselves or are all of us who aren't whores supposed to keep the word whore out of our mouths? So there's what's ideal and then there's what's realistic in this situation. Whores, by which I mean people who do sex work for money, are under attack even more than they've always been in history uh, lately because the United States government is, is trying to attack all of our rights and our livelihoods. And so, 
even more than at other times, this is a sensitive subject. So what I would say is that someone saying in a casual conversation that I'm a whore or this or that, that doesn't really bother me a lot. It's the usurpation of language um, in like things like media and politics where that starts to get a little bit bothersome to people like me in the sex work community. Like Amy Schumer is a comedian and she has disparaged sex workers on numerous occasions in the past. And yet now she's going on what she calls a whore tour, which is a comedy tour. But she's using the word whore because it's edgy and it catches people's attention. And she plays on sexuality in her comedy Yet she's talked shit about sex workers before. That's what we don't like, right? That's a really clear-cut example right. of what we're talking about. Okay, so one of the things Amy Schumer has done is sort of endorse the whole myth of or conflation of all consensual sex work with trafficking, with human trafficking. Yeah. I can see why then her turning around and wanting to toss the word whore around or name her tour, the whore tour would be a problem. But somebody, you know, with a friend or maybe even dirty talk during sex with a sex partner, it's such a charged and powerful word. You know, I'm not a bundle of sticks, but I was called a faggot a lot <laughs> in high school right, uh, right, and grade school. And I like to throw that word around during sex and sometimes with friends. You know, I could see us calling us each other faggots uh, in a restaurant or a store. And yeah, I don't want to have that taken away from me. I don't want to hear straight people use that term. So I guess I'm like kind of backing my way into endorsing. Uh, what the woman who confronted the caller in the store said, like, I wouldn't want her, somebody who wasn't a faggot, tossing the word faggot around, maybe for the same reason the person in the store didn't want to hear this non-horror tossing horror around. It's like the situation of having, of being in public and sort of talking to a friend and having another person approach, like, that's really weird. And I, I don't, um, I don't think that's usually the best way to go about these things. And I don't think it's necessarily useful all the time. I mean, people do use it like casually in an intimate situation. And I don't want to be sneaking into people's bedrooms and like throwing down some kind of like verbal red flag about what they said in bed. It's just that people as a rule, like we're not good at only using certain words at certain times and in no other times and places like that. We kind of fail at that. So I, you know, I, this person was a friend of mine. I would, I would mention it to her, but I, I wouldn't like end a friendship or anything with her over it. Just challenge her to think about it. Yeah, just just think about it. And yeah, like let's I would explore some vocabulary. I mean, you know, uh strumpet is a great word. I'm a big fan of strumpet. Um hussy is a fun one. I like hussy quite a bit. You know, there's a lot of like there are many, many extremely creative words for, you know, women who are not sexually prudes. <laughs> and so like just, you know, kind of lightly, but also seriously, let's think about bringing some of those words back. They're great vivid words and we should reclaim some of them too and give more space to people who are sluts. You, you know, the argument about Amy Schumer is basically she has disparaged sex workers. She's conflated sex work with trafficking. And so she's not allowed to use that word. If someone's down with sex workers, supports sex workers' rights, advocates for sex workers' rights, but isn't a sex worker, is, is that person allowed to use the word whore? You know, Dan, you and I are of the same generation. I'm Gen X. I don't really give a shit about who uses what word. <laughs> kind of me too, <laughs> you know? Like for all like all my professional life people were like in thirty years ago, people were like, You've gotta use your column to get people to stop using gay to mean bad. And I was just like, Ugh, scolding people about language it actually gives that language more power. It makes it more attractive for the people who want to use it to be an asshole to keep using it to be an asshole. Whereas, you know, I, as painful it is for kids in like middle school in the 90s to hear people use gay to mean bad and terrible, 
and dumb, it passed. And if we tried to wrestle the word out of the mouths of middle schoolers in the 90s, they would cling to it or clamp their jaws down on it to torture the metaphor more tightly. And so I just like the policing language thing always, not only to me feels futile, it feels counterproductive. I I agree with you. Now, our opinion is not necessarily the opinion of people who are now in their twenties. But, you know, so maybe it's generational, but uh, that's, yeah, I think it's, you're never going to get everyone to abide. I mean, you're certainly never going to get any, every people to respect the word whore. Like if people don't even respect real life whores, they're not going to respect the word whore. So, you know, you can make yourself crazy trying to police these things, or you can try to keep your focus on the bigger picture, is my opinion. And if you got out there and said, you know what, I'm not going to use the word whore because that belongs to sex workers, you'd probably get jumped on by half a dozen or more sex workers online telling you that whore is not an acceptable word to apply to sex workers. Right. Yeah. I mean, even in even in my circles, saying using the word whore often and, you know, vigorously will get you some side eye. So yeah, there's not even there's not even agreement amongst all of us about it. Where can people find you online? Twitter uh, at Mistress Matisse. Twitter at Mistress Matisse. I learn so much following you and you get what I love. One of the things I love about Twitter quickly before it gets destroyed, if it's going to get destroyed too, is watching how it's empowered sex workers to bring their arguments to mainstream journalists who don't get it and don't understand and often don't turn to sex workers uh, when they're writing about sex work. And there shouldn't be conversations about gay people or gay rights without gay people taking part. And there shouldn't be conversations about sex work without sex workers being heard. And what I love about you on Twitter is journalists who write about sex work and don't talk to sex workers, they hear from you. Well, thank you, Dan. That makes me feel really good to hear that. Yes, I am trying to drag them kicking and screaming into the 21st. Yeah, we're going to drive them into the 21st century and prevent them from dragging us into the 17th century. Mr. Matisse, thanks for jumping on the phone today. Thanks. Good to talk to you, Dan. Bye-bye. Mistress Matisse and I continued our conversation on the Magnum version of the show, which you can subscribe to at savage.love. She took a couple more calls, a couple more questions from my listeners, including one from a sex worker who fell in love with one of her clients. You're not going to want to miss that Q&A. Subscribe now at savage.love. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. They just relaunched the Ultra Smooth Package, complement to the Lawnmower 4.0 to keep your balls smooth while looking and feeling their best. This specialized groin shaving kit is here to help you buff, protect, and shave your most sensitive areas. For all my stylish ball-having listeners, Manscaped offers the sophisticated way to keep yourself nice and neat down there. We all know how hard it is to get a close shave without ingrown hairs, cuts, or nicks, and those are hard-to-reach places. And if, like me, you're shaving someone other than yourself, you want to have the very best tools. It all starts with the Lawnmower 4.0 to trim up your down-there hair. Next, use the Crop Exfoliator infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on and around your groin feeling refreshed. The Crop Exfoliator can help reduce the risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places. Slather up with their clear crop gel so you can see where you're shaving. Then you're ready to shave. The crop shaver was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. Three precision blades include extra wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. All three of these vegan cruelty-free and sulfate-free products are included. So your junk is in good hands without compromise. 
It's time to get up close and personal with the best tools for the job, the ultra smooth package from Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOVECAST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code LOVECAST at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Hello, Dan, Nancy, and the whole team. I have a question for you. Uh, I want to I want to know your thoughts. I'm a gay guy living in New York. Uh, my question is about the dick extenders or stretchers. Just so you know, uh, I'm a guy on above average, seven point five inches to eight inches, and I heard about these uh, penis extenders, and uh, I thought, you know, they kind of claim that you can get all the way from 0.5 to 2 inches if you were for minimum four hours a day for six months every day. I've been doing it, I'm working from home, so it's not a big deal to do it, but my concern comes to side effects. I'm a guy that is uncut, but I've been wearing this device for a month now, and I feel that I'm losing sensibility in the head of my penis. I don't know if this is something that's going to go away, or should I stop using the device, or does it work, or is there like nerve damage happening? Anyway, I would really like to know your thoughts. You know what? Uh, I'm not going to bring in a guest expert for you. I'm not going to go dig up a medical expert because it's 7.5 to 8 inches. Man, you have got enough dick. You don't need more dick of your own. That is a big fucking dick you've got there. And wanting another inch or two, uh, you're just being dick greedy. If you've been wearing this cock extender, this traction unit for your dick to try to stretch it and you're experiencing numbness in the head of your penis, stop wearing that thing. That thing you don't really need to be wearing because no guy is going to look at you with 7.5, 8 inches of dick and be disappointed. If you'd like to have an occasional much, much bigger dick rather than stretching your dick and possibly doing damage to the erectile tissues or the nerve endings, get online, go get a toy, go to oxballs.com and order yourself a cock sheath or a cock extender. They're basically dildos that are hollow with a strap at the back that goes around your balls that your dick fits inside. So if every once in a while you want to have a 12 inch dick, you can have a 12 inch dick. You can have a 16 inch dick. That's as big around as a can of paint or a can of Coke to be a little bit more realistic about what you can fit into another human being. But you don't need to be stretching your 7.5 to 8 inch dick. Come on. Come on, dude. You're just being greedy. Stop it. You've got enough dick there. You've got more than enough dick there. You've got so much dick there that, that some guys would kill to have 70% of your dick in their pants or 100% of your dick in their mouths or their asses. And if you really want to plow somebody, if you really want to have a giant dick every once in a while, go get some toys. All right, before we get to listener comments, let's read some listener tweets. Hey there, Hurley tweets. Big fan of the Savage Lovecast, but disappointed to hear Dan Savage repeat anti-choice language about the mother's health when talking about abortion exceptions. Mother, when used for people seeking slash having abortions, implies that just by virtue of being pregnant, someone is already a mother or a mother-to-be. I'm sorry. It's crazy how right-wing framing on issues like abortion, on everything, 
right-wing framing that's repeated and repeated and repeated creeps into our heads. I'm literally looking at my notes right now for last week's intro, and the woman's health is what I wrote down, but the mother's health is what came out of my mouth. Right-wingers. Terrible at empathy, compassion, math, sex, and science, but so good at messaging. Thank you for the correction. Hey there, Hurley, and you are right. A pregnant woman isn't a mother unless she chooses to become one. Rebecca Hoffman tweets, fuck the patriarchy, give me candy, might be my new favorite phrase. And another Rebecca, Rebecca Coleman tweets, hey, at fake Dan Savage, can we get fuck the patriarchy, give me candy on a t-shirt? I don't see why not. You can go ahead and put that on a t-shirt yourself. Maybe we'll bring out a mug. And finally, Stephen Forrest tweets, for my birthday, I was gifted a one-year Magnum subscription to the Savage Lovecast, and a week later, at Fake Dan Savage follows me on Twitter. Coincidence? It was a coincidence, Stephen. You commented on a tweet of mine. I thought your comment was funny. I followed you. I had no idea you were a Magnum sub. But I'm glad you are, and happy belated birthday, Stephen. And I was proud to become your 64th follower on Twitter. All right, thanks to everyone who posted about the show to your social media this week. We really appreciate it. And if you want me to read your tweet on next week's episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now, listener comments. Hey, this is a response call for the woman who doesn't want biological kids and uh, got, got told off by some guy she was seeing about that. I actually am in a similar situation. I called in a month or two ago to ask for Dan's advice on wanting to have kids, but only via adoption. And I had a bit of a different question, but the advice that he gave me about putting on the apps was actually, he, he told me I shouldn't mention my specific situation on the apps. I think that what you should do is probably just not mention it. I know a lot of apps like Hinge or Bumble, they, they don't give you the option to specify there's just a checkbox, want kids or don't want kids. And I think both of those in a situation like mine or yours leads people to wrong assumptions. So I think that it's better to just leave it blank. Um, if you want to mention it in your profile, you can, but I think that that might also tend to let people dismiss you who otherwise might might be interested. And you know, once, once you've started to see someone, if you're clicking and want to have that serious conversation about what you're looking for, that's when you can get into the question of how it is that you want to have kids. Now, the other thing Dan oddly didn't mention, uh, he kind of pivoted to some weird tangent about polyamory, but what he should have told you is that the guy in this situation was obviously a huge asshole. It may be that you allowed him to make a false assumption, but telling you that you're selfish for what you want in terms of pregnancy or lack of pregnancy is pretty a pretty huge red flag. So def- I hope you already have dumped that guy, but if not, dump that motherfucker already. And if anybody reacts in that way to the conversation about wanting kids, that's a, that's a very good reason to stop seeing them. Hi, this is in response to the caller who doesn't like to be around when her in-laws are around and not because they aren't nice people, but because um, she appreciates her space and is an introvert. I am definitely... In this situation, the husband, I have the parents who live far away on the other side of Australia. And when they stay, they often stay for two to three weeks as well. And he really can't find anything to complain about them, but also finds that it's impeding on his personal space being an introvert as well. My advice to her is absolutely like be honest with them and tell them that that's how you feel. I'm an introvert. I just need my space because if they are kind, loving, understanding people as my parents are 
and, you know, socially progressive, as she said as well, and empathetical, then they will absolutely understand. You know, I ended up as the partner. I think sometimes blood needs to deal with blood in certain situations. And I ended up telling my parents, you know, Jeremy really likes his space. Can you possibly stay somewhere else sometimes? Or can we just do stuff without him? And they were totally fine and they were like, yeah, sure. I really think sometimes in your head, you can probably make situations feel like they are more complex and stepping on eggshells. But at the end of the day, if they're kind, compassionate people, they will absolutely understand. I just hang out with my parents sometimes and he joins in every now and then, or he goes away or they stay somewhere else. So it's absolutely just a really simple conversation and just makes everyone kind of enjoy each other's company when we do all hang out. Hey, Dan. I'm a big old bottom here from the California desert calling in about episode 811, the guy from London whose fiance has anal orgasms. I've been waiting forever for this topic to come up uh, because I have orgasms like this and they rarely get talked about. And there's a few people that don't know about it. Um, and I just want to tell this guy that Instead of being upset that your fiance has this type of orgasm, you should be thrilled for him and a little bit jealous because this type of orgasm is 10 times better than any other kind of orgasm you can have. It is a full body orgasm from the tip of your head to the tip of your toes. They come in waves, uh, extended periods. They can be rhythmic. It really depends on who you're with. The tops that I'm with can feel me convulse when they're inside of me. And so they're getting direct feedback and they really seem to get off on that. So instead of being upset about this, you should really just lean into this hard, figure out what's making your fiance convulse and then do that, learn what happens and you can be in more control of it. And I think you guys can have a lot more fun. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? You can use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and then email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. New York City, the 2022 edition of my amateur porn film festival Hump 2022 screens this weekend at House of X. And Missoula, Montana, you are getting humped too. Hump 2022 will be at the Roxy Theater this weekend. Go to humpfilmfest.com to grab your tickets to a screening. Or if you can't make it out to a theater for Hump 2022, you can find information about streaming Hump 2022 at home. National Go Barefoot Day is coming right up June 1st. And a GGG mug would make a great gift for all the foot fetishists on your NGB Day list. Order yours or theirs today at savage.love slash shop. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Mistress Matisse on Twitter at Mistress Matisse. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. I'll be back at you next week on the installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you so much for downloading.